0: Hello and welcome to Creative Lives. This is the podcast that's brought to you by Lecture in Progress, where we get to know inspiring creatives, we ask them how they got to where they are today, and we also get them to share their wisdom for those that are just starting out. This week, we speak to Nadine Shaheen. My name is Nadine Shaheen. I am a Lebanese type designer. Nadine is a world-renowned type designer who's been at the forefront of the revolution in Arabic type over the past decade and a half. Having worked at Type Foundry Monotype and also independently, Nadine created the first Arabic companions to some of the most well-known typefaces. Think Frutiger, Helvetica, as well as becoming a specialist in legibility. So I wanted to just
1: design more typefaces so that me as a graphic designer and other graphic designers would have more flexibility and more choice in designing and and having high quality
0: typefaces of a variety of styles. Nadine actually rose up the ranks at Monotype over 13 years, starting as an intern and progressing to UK type director, which is the highest role a designer can hold at the company. With an ever-present interest in politics, during this time Nadine faced the challenge of squeezing in a pretty demanding job as well as an MA in international relations, which was her fourth degree. Eventually, it led her to burnout and she ended up leaving to forge her own path. Here, she takes us through the meticulous process of creating an Arabic typeface from a Latin one, gives us advice on dealing with stress and self-confidence dips, and also tells us about why design should always be political.
1: So normally there are two types of people, as they say, there's the morning person and then the evening person. Uh, I am not a morning person. I, I don't want people to talk to me before 10 or 11 a.m. Really, I'm just completely antisocial in the morning. <laughs> and uh, during the day, there is the energy of, of, of the day, the light and, and the people. And it feels like the kind of time where I want to be doing things, not the kind of time where I can settle down with my laptop and shut out the world and just you know, dedicate the time for me and my outlines. And of course, for the duration of most of my career so far, I've had to do that. I've had to, you know, like discipline myself to be able to sit in an office and design. But my instinct is to um, basically enjoy the daylight and, and be out in the world during the day and meet with people and have, you know, send emails and talk about work. But when it comes to the creative process itself, I feel like, it's a bit like meditation, and you need to bring down the, the heart rate, the, the breathing rhythm. The, the, the You need to feel settled in the chair. You can't be um, high energy and stressed and designing typefaces. Because designing typefaces is extremely, extremely detailed work. You, you move very, very small increments of space, and, and that is what makes or breaks a typeface. So, so for me, I feel like I get into this very relaxed rhythm and and then it's really like there is nobody else it's just me and the outlines and it becomes a very enjoyable process To design an Arabic companion to an existing Latin typefaces, the first thing I normally do is first understand the the typeface itself. What is the function and what is the aesthetics? Is it a sans serif? Is it a serif? But, But primarily always the function. Is it a text face? Is it a display face? So Frutiger was designed for the airport. So primarily it's a signage typeface. And then I go to the Arabic and then I say, okay, what style of Arabic can perform the same function within a similar aesthetic and with a similar voice and personality. And the challenge in Arabic, when I was first starting, is that we didn't have an Arabic that could function like a sans-serif and give the same personality. It just didn't exist. So I needed to do hybrids of two different styles and mix them to get to something that could function like that. But yeah, so look at the function and then see how do I translate that idea into the visual and this is where different designers will have different views but the most important is is what will the typeface do and what will it say and how does it sound and trying to get that in, in Arabic as well and you, you look at things like contrast or so difference between thick and thins you look at the rhythm of the typeface you look at the nature of the movement is it fast or is it slow is it mechanical is it organic these are all questions that you need to ask and analyze and If you make a Latin and an Arabic that have exactly the same level of organic movement in it, they will not match because Arabic is inherently more organic than the Latin. If you make them 100% the same, it doesn't work. You need to go back, what is the nature of the Arabic script and what is the aesthetic? And then use that as your baseline and then compare that with the baseline in Latin. So a mechanical movement in Latin is... If you have it the same mechanical movement in Arabic, it looks a little bit weird. Sometimes you need to like modify a little bit. So it's not a copy and paste, definitely not. It starts with a very close look at the the, the aesthetics and the structures and the nature of the movement of the pen originally in both scripts. I've had the privilege to design the Arabic Companions to some of the most well-loved and mostly used popular typefaces in Latin typography. So the Frutiger, Helvetica, Universe, Avenir, most recently, Palatino, (laughs) Zapfino. the list is long. The next also. Obviously, there was a lot of pressure. I struggled more with trying to find the solution than the weight of the Latin history. Back then, in 2003, there was nothing I could look at anywhere near that would be like Frutiger Arabic, and 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 so it was so hard, and and I was not such a good type designer because I was just starting. <laughs> but I, uh, the first one was the Frutiger Arabic. My first sketches that I sent to, to Linotype, and then they showed to Adrian Frutiger. He he wrote on the sketches, on the printouts, this work has a touch of genius, and like I cried when I read that, uh, but it was validation that I was doing something, like I found something. And their support helped me get through the process. I think by the time I got to the Helvetica, then I started to worry. You you carry the weight of history also, because the name is so big. I, I always worry. But like my, my approach to it is that I, I try something different in each one, so that, you know, uh, I'm not always with the same approach. So that that way, at least... Time and the users will tell which solution works better than the others. Uh, The the projects that mean the most to me are projects that had a bigger meaning and not necessarily just the visual. There is the uh, Anahar headline typeface that I designed uh, in, in memory of the assassinated chief editor. And that was a political statement. So for that, I am very glad. The the Dubai project, you know, working with the Executive Council of Dubai to create a typeface that carries the name of Dubai and would ship with Microsoft Office 365, that was another landmark project. Typography obviously has a lot of power. It has the power to convey messages and to give form to words, to give meaning, to amplify meaning. And I think people are not often aware of just how important the words we use are. And and the, the ideas that we talk about, the words that we use have intrinsic power in them that can even change your legal status. Who gets to be called a refugee versus who gets to be called an asylum seeker? You have legal rights depending on that word. And typography is what gives shape to it. So we are in the position to amplify words in ways that can bring them more to life. There's a study that showed that if you set the word red, for example, in the color yellow, it takes longer to read because there's a discrepancy between the visual and the meaning. So in the same way, when there is no discrepancy, when there is an amplification between the visual and the linguistic meaning, then we have put our talents in the service of ideas that we want to push. If it is within cultural environments, because you want to work on, on initiatives that mean a lot to you or if it is just heritage projects that you want to support. There's so many things that typography can help express and to, to give voice there is power beyond what we might necessarily think.
0: Nadine first became interested in Arabic type design during the second year of her graphic design degree at the American University of Beirut.
1: When I, when I look back at myself in my teenage years I don't see links with what I do today. My political views were not there. And I had no interest in anything Arabic. I I didn't listen to Arabic music. I did not watch Arabic movies. And by the time I went to university, I had stopped speaking Arabic because that's what you do when you go to the American University of Beirut. Basically bring English into your Arabic and, you know, start speaking a funny mix of, of both. Sometimes things happen because inspiring people come into your life and and so it's all about the calligraphy teacher we had who taught me arabic typography he's my mentor i see him every time i go to lebanon and uh, he's, he's he's been with me the whole way and now when i look at it because type design for me is also reflective of my my political views when i look at the relationship of arabic to latin script it's the same way i look at the relationship between the east and the west uh the same kind of approach to dialogue and openness and harmony and and respect for the similarities and the differences. You know, common humanity for both of us. And, And this is both a political and a design ideology for me. On graduation day, we had a very important speaker, Edward Said, the late Edward Said, come speak to us. And he was talking about the relationship between the East and the West, and that opened my eyes. And it was a landmark day. Like, I always talk about that when I give interviews. It's a landmark day in my life when I heard him speak. And it completely changed my view on things. And then third influence, I started working with a political group at university, but after graduation, and I used to design their political campaigns and their election campaigns and all of that. And and then I sort of started getting into left-wing politics and center-left politics. And, and so then they all combined together and, and made me who I am. But up until I was 21, there was very little of what I am now, like you wouldn't have expected. But now that I am what I am, I, it sort of feels natural, I guess.
0: Since graduating from her graphic design degree, Nadine has managed to do three more, including an MA in typeface design, a PhD, and an MA in international relations at Cambridge. She tells us how she's managed to make this work, both financially and alongside a busy creative career.
1: I was lucky that my first degree, my dad was financing it. Uh, it's the way it happens in Lebanon. It's it's the norm that parents will pay for their children's education all the way, at least to the first degree. And I also did my best so that I could get scholarships as well, so to help with that. For my second degree, uh, so in my type design, which I did at Reading University here in the UK, I had to do the work myself. I worked like crazy for two years, and then I borrowed money. And then I worked while I was studying and, and coming here from earning money in dollars to spending money in pounds when the pound used to be very strong <laughs> was was brutal, but I had to do it. And like every other student, I had to count pennies and buy everything at ASDA. So obviously it wasn't easy, but I was lucky to find a job immediately after uh, to to start, you know, fixing things. And so that helped. Uh, by the time I wanted to start the, the PhD, I studied at Leiden University and I didn't have to pay a single euro for my PhD. I, I applied, I got accepted, and then it was all funded by the government. And I was doing it part time because, again, I couldn't not work. So I had to give up my my weekends, my holidays, my evenings, just to be able to manage both. And obviously, my my free time and my social life paid the price for that. And then when it came to Cambridge, Cambridge is, funnily enough, uh, quite affordable compared to, like, the masters at Reading. And and so that was fine. I was doing it part-time again. So I was, you know, working at the same time. It's very difficult to leave the workforce to go study because when you come back, people have progressed. And yes, you have a degree, but you've lost the contacts, you've lost your space. So I, I always wanted to combine both. But every time I've studied, my new degree has opened new doors. And every time I wanted to change direction, I've gone ahead and I've studied So I wanted to do type design, so I studied type design. I was interested in legibility, so I studied legibility. I was interested in politics, so I studied politics. And each one of these heralded like a new direction in my career. And, and for that, I'm very grateful that I was able to do both. And not everyone will be able to, you know, do four degrees. And four, four is a lot, but at least for me, the answer was to basically just give up on the social life. And not completely, but like sacrifice a little bit of the free time. And you still use see your friends, it's not like they're going to miss you or anything. So, so, yeah, this like combined approach is sort of how I managed to get through it.
0: In 2005, Nadine joined Type Foundry Monotype as an intern, She'd stay there for the next 13 years, eventually becoming their UK type director. She tells us about her eventual decision to leave.
1: So I I had my differences, creative differences, I would say, of where I wanted the company to go versus where the company was going. And then when I became the UK type director, I thought, OK, but I, I will work with my team in the way that I think. We need to be working and, and I loved working with my team and, and with the UK sales colleagues and um, you know the UK team in general and 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 so I had a lot of fun with that. But but at some point I decided to to start this master's at Cambridge and I was interviewed for, for the masters with the person who would become my supervisor, my thesis supervisor, and she's the course director now. And and she asked me, like, how will you manage to combine a very busy career with a very demanding? Masters at Cambridge. I mean, the level at Cambridge is really tough, and um, so so how will you do that? And and I told her just immediately, without even having to think, if I need to choose, I will choose Cambridge. And and so I started the the masters in September 2017, and uh, yeah, there was a lot of work <laughs> and things were together the mix was not going well. And by early 2018, it was it was becoming clear that this is not sustainable, and then. By, you know, early March, I decided that it's, it's time to leave. And obviously, I have had such great learning experiences at Monotype and, and Linotype before that. I've, I've worked with people who know the industry inside out, and I've learned so much. And I've had amazing colleagues work with me and me work with them. And, and I, I started as a design intern and I finished as type director, which is the highest position a designer can get. But I still felt that I had no voice in the direction the company takes. I think setting up on my own gave me space to do the kinds of projects that I now want to do and to free up time because a lot of my time was spent in meetings, most of them unnecessary, and that's not very efficient, but it is part of being in a big company. Now I don't have a lot of meetings because I can take fewer projects, so they require less meeting. They still require a lot of design time, but you don't need to have the overhead of meeting time. And then I uh, don't have you know, colleagues that I need to talk to. So my, my time is free to spend on Cambridge and, and my time is free to now spend on other things that I want to do. And I, I want to set up uh, either a charity or a nonprofit in early next year. That's on the side of the foundry that I've started setting up this year as well. So it gives me space to do other things. And it also, the freedom to to engage with political design. So, and, and to be vocal in my political views. And, and before I always had to tread carefully but but like i have very strong political views and so for example uh, after, like last year i designed a protest typeface against trump's visit to the uk and i was very clear this is why i'm designing and these are the reasons why i am protesting trump's policies in the middle east and i could say that and before i couldn't and and i really wanted that freedom and and for me at this point in life i i want to have projects that engage with our environment. Of course, I continue to do corporate work, but I also want to complement it with social, political, cultural work. In the world of 2019, where we live today, to not be engaged in politics is to be complicit in the political phenomena that we live in today. We have the rise of the far right. We have extremism coming in. We have xenophobia. We have racism. We have all sorts of horrible things that we thought will never happen again. And they start to happen again. And to not engage with that is to be complicit in letting it happen. So uh, us as designers, yes, we can continue our day jobs and, you know, pay the rent and, and all of that, but we need to dedicate part of our consciousness and part of our time and efforts and talent in supporting uh, you know, other messages as well, you know. Having
0: such a busy creative career alongside studying has at times pushed Nadine too far. She tells us how she's managed to cope.
1: So I tend to push myself a lot, but I was burned out for several years. You know, it's uh, it's a difficult thing to go through. It's, it's difficult to manage. It's difficult to get out of it. It's difficult to recognize that you're burned out. But, um, there are very important signs, and like I don't need to go through them because like you just Google and you see. But but basically, when the joy of life is is gone from you, um, or when you become more irritable and 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 then you're snapping at people, and then you're wondering like who is this person? This is not me. You can't you know get out of bed in the morning. These are horrible things to happen, but and they do happen. And I think now what I try to do is um, practice a little bit more self care <laughs> and uh, give myself the rest I need. You know, every once in a while, go on a meditation retreat and and go on holidays. And, and, you know, I I left monotype, so I don't have to sacrifice my evenings. So I do a little bit less design work. And then in the free time, I study. So I have a full time, but the full time is, you know, work and study, not full time work and then study in the, you know, because I couldn't handle anymore. And, And so it's very important to recognize the science. But on the other hand, just to play the devil's advocate, there are periods in life where you need to push through where there are opportunities and doors that are open that at least and every person makes their own choice but there were instances in my life where there was a door that was open and there was no way I would not walk through the door because you don't know when that door will close and there was an opportunity to to inspire other people to to design how I want to design to to take opportunities and and to work hard and 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 these were things that meant a lot to me and, and of course, you have to be very careful and, and not burn out and it's not good advice to do that. But keeping a balance would be, I think, my advice I would give myself to, to you know, from previous, uh, if, if I talk to the younger me, <laughs> just keep a better balance, I think, uh, because it's just it's just not good
0: to burn out. Finally, Nadine shares with us the two main bits of advice she would give to all aspiring designers.
1: For the past year and a half, I've been mentoring six young uh, designers and uh, they all have the same questions. And most of it has to do with how do you talk about your work? Because several are uncomfortable talking about the work. The second thing is how do you balance the time between doing projects that pay versus what you really want to do? And and for the first one, like I've given this advice to several of them. Like, Look, if you are uncomfortable talking about yourself, don't talk about yourself put a little bit of distance between you and your project. So prepare a presentation or your portfolio or whatever. And then when you need to talk about it, you say, I did this project. And then the rest of it, it's always in this project, what this project tries to do, the design of this project, just talk about the project. It is your work. Obviously, people understand that, but it puts, again, it's the words that are important. It puts a little bit of emotional distance. It gives you space to be a little bit more in the background so you don't feel the heavy glare of spotlight or on you, which makes often younger designers a little bit more uncomfortable. So just you know, finding ways of how to speak about the work is you know one one thing that that we talk about. Another one is how to balance and and I always you know like need to w- explain that that we we need to keep a pipeline of projects coming. We need to reach out to potential uh, clients as well. Obviously, all of that you know the usual work, but. Um, we, we need to pay the rent and it's fine to work on projects that are not 100% what you want to do. As long as they're adjacent to it, that's fine because you will learn. There is a learning opportunity in every project that we take on and there's a learning opportunity in every person we meet. And if we go through life as forever students, then, yeah, then the entire approach becomes one of learning and then time is not wasted because you've learned something along the way. Even if it's only I managed to pay the rent today, but that space and peace of mind gave me enough time to think of this other thing that I want to do, you know? So it you don't need to feel like a sellout if, if you need to take on projects that you might not necessarily want to do. We've all had to do that. But, but as long as you keep an eye on the goal, keep an eye of like what speaks to you and then give it a little bit of time every once in a while. And, and if you want to be efficient, give it one afternoon on a Sunday, for example, and you just like sit through and those long evenings and like do five hours of work and then just like press yourself. And then at the end, you'll be super happy because you did something that you normally don't have time for.
0: The Creative Lives podcast is brought to you by Lecture in Progress. We're a platform that's helping emerging talent to grow fulfilling creative careers. I'm Marianne Hanoon, and our guest this week was Nadine Shaheen. Our editor is Ivor Manley, with production support from Laura Snowed. Lecture in Progress is made possible with the support of our brand partners. They include GF Smith, Google, Colophon Foundry, Gif Gaff and the Paul Smith Foundation. You can find out more at lectureinprogress.com. And we also love hearing from you, so please do get in touch or leave us a rating. Till then, we'll see you next week.